Okay, season one mailbag. My name is Aro. My name is Aro, and my pronouns are he/him. I'm the writer and producer of the Dungeon and Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name's Dylan. My pronouns are he/him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to, to kill, kill every monster. I find it really funny that you've gone God's Fall too many times, and now you're overshooting your pitch. I'm way overshooting That's really you're funny. Like, hey, to me. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm a room. I did God's Fall. It's a tough. I can't hit it. It really like I can't hit it the first time. You can't I hit really have one, to and gauge that's fine. it. <laughs> we're a podcast finishing our first season. In this episode, we're answering questions from our listeners. The first question comes from Marcy in Ontario. If you were in charge of Wizards of the Coast, what rules would you institute to ensure players feel safe? Step one, no suggesting that you sexually harass your tables in monster stat blocks. Do not encourage DMs to sexually harass your players. Don't do that. There's a thousand like good steps you could take that are like positive. But first thing we got to do is dig ourselves out of the hole of specifically making tables unsafe. Even just the baseline of session zero as like a standard thing to do, put it in the player's handbook so they expect it. Actually, no, that's going to be my my broad spectrum thing because we're not doing a whole episode on this single question. Put safety mechanics in the player's handbook and do not make them the DM responsibility. Like the entire table has to be on board for this stuff. In addition to safety tools as a DM, here is what you are responsible for. I think they could certainly expand a bit, but you're right. It should be in the player's handbook. And another thing I think should be in there and should be part of this is there should be an example of play. Uh, They used to, and other rule books do, set set aside four or five pages to walk you through an entry-level party with a DM and how those interactions can go. And I think that those guidelines are incredibly important and a practical example like that is a lot easier to follow. Do that for a session zero a little bit. Make sure that's in the PHB. And in one of the later examples, do something like an X card. And then in the DMG, you can expound on it. And in the player's handbook, you can say like, you should expect a session zero where you can set up some things, reference things like lines and veils and X cards. And in the DMG, go in depth dedicate a couple pages to it and have it go throughout the chapters. So if there's different information presented later, pick up those same characters, introduce a scene and give your players a practical example of what you expect from them so that they can learn frankly by example. Like that's how I learn. That's at least a start, but Jesus, there's a lot you could do. One of the best ways to make a space safe is to hire people that are div- that are diverse enough to make a place safe, to have your headquarters in a city that is diverse enough, that is accessible by public transportation so that the people working for it are more diverse. If I was in charge of Wizards of the Coast, I would sell the building in Wisconsin, I would buy a building in New York City, and I would move everything. And I'd have a little separate LA office where they did all the you know, all the big streamers and other things that they have to interact with. And when they do big movie stuff, because they're making them right now, have like a dozen people there doing Hollywood stuff. Everything else, have it be in New York City and have it be accessible to everyone. That's what I would do to change Wizards of the Coast and make it safer for everybody. 
Hopper from Brooklyn asks, what's your least favorite popular monster? I will catch so much shit for saying dragons, but also... Yeah, but are they your least favorite? So here's the thing. Locationally locked villains are a problem. Like, there's a couple of monsters in there that are very, very tied to their locations, and dragons are by far the worst of them. And because Wizards has taken away the polymorph from chromatic dragons, it becomes way harder to get a dragon actually reasonably orchestrating things, at which point it makes them much more of a set-piece villain. But again, the current mechanics with the breath weapon and the claw-claw bite and the tail... They're just not that fun to fight. So when you lose the ability to really easily integrate them into a plot, and the fight itself also has sort of stopped working, and Austin's going to yell at me when we record later. If he hears this, I'm going to get so much shit. I kind of agree, and I also have, have basically the same problem, but it's with giants. Like, I just don't like giants. I don't think they're very interesting. And I don't think that they do enough different things to be interesting. There's alternate versions in the dmg that make it a little better right they like oh mm -hmm. i'm ice so i do more frost stuff right but yeah it's still not terribly diverse or interesting so again it's it's the same a problem it's like it's just the same bear in different forms mine just throws rocks giants would work a hell of a lot better if like the big trick you got to do is make a world where giants are the thing Because, like, holy shit, Forgotten Realms does not make sense when you put a giant in it. Giants and dragons would take up large amounts of real estate in a world. And when you look at these worlds, they're not really accounted for. Their territories are not accounted for. The best they ever did was in Dragonlands. There was routes and areas where dragons would have domain over that kind of made sense. But it, it's a lot of work. Again, in order to do it, you have to have it be the main generating idea. Dragons in Dragonlance are the plot because they have to be, because once you account for them, they take up almost everything. Everything else has to struggle for space, and that becomes the story. These are gigantic, intelligent, magical, semi-immortal alpha predators. They would take up huge resources. The sheer ecology of having dragons exist as a species that needs to propagate, you have to do a lot of legwork to make these things feel natural in the world. And it's just so much work for so little payoff that I just, I don't, I don't know. I'll use a dragon when I want the high-level party to feel cool. Actually, I referenced this in my notes, but my favorite way to do a dragon is Frankenstein. One of my favorite things to do with a necromancer is to make them build other shit. It's like, I, I'm not going to reanimate a minotaur. I'm going to find a cow and a big dude, and I'm going to make myself a minotaur. I'm, I'm animating it anyway. Fuck it. Doing the same thing and using that to generate a dragon. A dragon lich is not a dragon. No, it's not. If the only value to putting a dragon in your game these days is a stat block because it's a pain in the ass to integrate them into the actual plot, might as well make them undead. Dragons and giants work either as the overarching a story or the crux, an echo. So like they're the they're the last of the dying race of dragons. Magic is fading. Dragons are fading. Giants have recessed into the mountains because mankind has just pushed them back too far. So 
there's ways you can play with it, but they have to be like the old dying way. Absolutely. And this is now modernism. That's what you use dragons and giants for. If you can change the stats of any monster in 5th edition, which one would it be and why? Let's make sure we're on the same page for this. I'm reading this as their base 6 stats. Adding abilities and stuff like that off the table. What has the wrong scores? So my answer is simple. Werewolves. Werewolves have the wrong stats. Werewolves are not strong enough. They are not fast enough. They are not tough enough. It does not reflect what we understand as the power level of a werewolf. It is maybe a slightly above average dude. It's not even as strong as the strongest dude. It doesn't make any sense. It needs to be scaled up. Yeah, because what are we looking at? 15, 11, 14, 10, 11, 10. If that was a PC, I'd be mildly disappointed. A werewolf should at least be as strong and tough as the strongest and toughest mortal. At least. I think that's pretty fair. I Mine is honestly way more just baseline. Fucking kobolds. No objection to their, their physical stats. Fairly high dexterity. Pissed weak. No constitution. They're little guys. They're fast. But the entire thing is supposed to be like tunnelers and builders. They make traps. They're supposed to be clever. They should be smart. They should be smart. They should be smart and they should be charismatic because they're from dragons. So even though they're little shit lizards. Yeah. You should have that sort of inheritance from like just evolution. And also, let's be honest, they're in the running for one of the monsters that most frequently gets portrayed as cute. Kobolds conceptually have a high charisma. Give them at least a 10. They're basically just goblins, but you like them. Yeah. So I would give them a 12. I would put it up that high. I think they should be charismatic creatures. I would put them at like maybe an 11, slightly above average. That way you have like room to play with special kobolds. Yeah. Like you give the 16 to the to the one that's a sorcerer and you give like a 14 to the chief and you up their strength or whatever. I want to see a wisdom increase and the charisma increase because clever little trap monsters and just likable and don't touch that intelligence score because if I ever see a kobold with a book that isn't a PC, I'm annoyed. <laughs> These are people that run entirely on the belief that they are descended from dragons. Yeah, they make these incredible contraption, but they've never written down a damn thing. It's all through instinct and shared storytelling and collective learning, but it's not about book knowledge. Absolutely. There are like records of like designs. Drawn into cave walls, but yeah. not in a book. Not in a book. No reading for kobolds. Mm -mm, just pictures. It's all picture diagrams. Kobolds should have a visual learning ability where they can look at something and just understand roughly how it was made, how it was constructed, and approximate how to reconstruct it shabbily. I agree with you on one condition, and this is going to be a thing that, again, I always get yelled at for. Do that, but also replace gnomes with kobolds. We don't need gnomes to coexist with halflings, and we don't need gnomes to coexist with kobolds. Gnomes invent, kobolds fabricate. That's the difference. That's a boring distinction, and I don't care. That's not. That's not a boring distinction, because kobolds fabricate without a plan, and gnomes do nothing 
without a plan. It's a very different way of constructing. You've basically got a hundred monkeys in a room until they make Shakespeare, right? And then you've got one guy spending 10 years designing a single bolt. If you keep gnomes in as they are, they don't make sense in most settings because they should have caused an industrial revolution. Completely agreed. If gnomes exist, things have to change. If you give that role to kobolds, where they are the premier engineers, you can't get them to read a fucking book, but if you explain to them what you need, you show them the diagrams, they can figure out how to make it work. And you give like the chemical aspect of it, like all of the explosions, goblins are the ones that invent gunpowder. And then it's the tall species, like it's the elves and humans that are trying to show them like, no, magic, look, here, can we work this into it? No, no, uh, our, our priests learned that. Like we have one guy, he's descended from a dragon, he does magic, I don't do magic, I do engineering. There was this unmovable door in the middle of a place where they had to make a project because it was holding back a great power that they had to move so, so they could build their spa, right? Their little spa that they want to make. And they would build an arc reactor to channel whatever divine energy they needed to get rid of this door, wouldn't care what was behind it, and then would simply shove the arc reactor to the side because it wasn't needed anymore and continue making their spa. See, again. I disagree with this. I think this is the sort of thing where you have to create, like, when there is a problem like that, you have to create a little council where there's an, a goblin arguing with a kobold and a single elf trying to explain, like, no, we can't just blow up the door. It's like, no, I know we can't just blow up the door. That's why I'm building this. But and then we can. I have several plans. <laughs> So you can do exactly that. Yeah, and if you check this diagram, I can direct his explosions and make sure that we only blow up the doors. No, but the thing behind the door, do you want the door out of the way or not? There are entire treaties to keep goblins from talking to kobolds. <laughs> Nations have come together to make sure that doesn't happen. The role that gnomes generically get shoehorned into in science is something that I want reserved for my PCs. Right. I love, like, if you're going to do a weird little gnome artificer and they figured out how to do a little clockwork robot, that's great when it's a PC and it's creating a little owl that's wandering around. But if all of the gnomes have these clockwork servitors and, like, why is this, why have you not, why is that guy farming now? Either you're the only artificer because it's something you just came up with or it's Eberron. It's one of the two things. You don't have any room in between. Gnomes don't work in regular fantasy, and I don't want them there. Give it to kobolds and goblins. Make them into societies and stop doing this weird thing where they're strange little cave races. If you want gnomes, you have to have Eberron. That's the trade-off. You have to have maglev trains, and you've got to have everything that comes along with it, because that's what would happen. And if you want gnomes but don't want to have Eberron, guess what? That's a fucking halfling with a level of wizard. That's it. That's all you had to do, and now you've replaced them fully. The only way to incorporate gnomes is to change your entire world. I hate gnomes. I just don't like gnomes. I guess the monster we would both change is, is the gnomes. Gnome. And I would change their stats <laughs> to be none. Fuck off. There's your answer. Johnny from Seattle wants to know, what monster do we really want to feature but haven't yet? And what monster are we avoiding? As far as for me, we are avoiding the drow. 
much like orcs, Dungeons & Dragons treats them both as a player race and a monster. Combine that with their incredibly racist origins, and you have a creature I don't think either of us are very eager to feature. No, and this is... You mentioned orcs because that that's that's what I'm going with. Like I'm not looking forward to it because so we set out sort of a rule for ourselves that the things we were featuring initially were not supposed to include playable races. Right. And we broke that immediately. Well, I mean D D ruined. We broke it, it immediately. <laughs> we picked goblins as the we second thing. Gob- okay. Yeah. But again, no, they weren't a that's... player race for a long time. They are, they are what could be considered a non-standard D&D. Species, yeah. Species. No, when we started off, one of the things we said was we're not going to worry about player species because those are clearly not monsters. They're people. Right. But specifically, orcs and goblinoids are so ubiquitous as monsters in modules and like goblins are sort of the standard go-to fight the first level party. Not to mention all fantasy, just in general. Yeah, you feel like like at some point we're gonna have to because we can't get away with that for very long. But holy shit, they're so just racially charged. Like Drow have an explicit like aesthetic tie to being fucking racist. Yes, yes, the way they look is racism. Orcs fall into a a, a similar category in that like they weren't written to mirror anything specifically, but just about everything they put onto them follows really gross racist talking points about various minorities it just loads them and i know that we're gonna have to one day we're gonna need really good guess for that one because holy shit i do not feel qualified to talk about it as far as things we're looking forward to i have a cheat answer it's nothic we already recorded it godsend i am so fucking sorry it's gonna come out eventually i promise we're waiting so long but it is a really good episode and it's different from most when me and Aram were kicking this idea around and I came to him and I was like, there are too many cool monsters that don't get their day in the sun. Nothic was my case study. It was just, this is one of the coolest monsters in the book and we don't fucking get to hear about it ever. When we flipped the idea to the player being the monster, the first thing you said was, I want to feature the Nothic. Like you were on board right away and that fit your puzzle piece. I think that kind of sold you. Oh God, yeah. What do I look forward to? It's hard because we've also got a shitload of stuff scheduled. Like the the two big ones for me were the I wanted to talk about the Rakshasa so I could yell about how it's the best devil in the game. That's the one I look most forward to. I mean, that one played out like a true fable, right? I really enjoyed that. And plus, it was just so interesting hearing KP's perspective on all these stories that were just part of his childhood, really, and growing up. They were just of and around him and i just i found that whole episode really enlightening and i think very close to the core of what i was hoping kill every monster would be in summary we don't look forward to dealing with the racist stuff and we look forward to some stuff that we've already recorded yes basically <laughs> jesse hi jesse from niagara the good side of niagara asks Will Aram play some female, and they use the word heroes in this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay true to it, but will Aram play some female heroes in the show? Quote-unquote heroes. Quote-unquote heroes. I have played one. I have played Dinaris the Hunter, which I think was uh, the most competent of all the characters I've yeah. played by far. <laughs> she was great. I liked her quite a lot. Uh, so yes, I will play more women. 
Um, I tend to play men uh, for a couple reasons, I think. Um, none of which I think add up to be the right answer. This was honestly a question we sort of had to round table beforehand because the the justification is quite honestly the stuff that feels natural for us to say, but the moment we had to say it out loud, we were like, oh fuck, we have a we have some blind spots we need to address. It's not justification. It's an explanation of reasons chosen until now. Yeah. So and the the reasons chosen until now that I've I've mainly played guys is that we are two guys. Uh, I am always playing bad people, and it feels weird to be two guys and then choose to play the bad person and make a conscious choice for them to not be a guy. Especially when a lot of the misogyny we have to talk about is specifically about men writing villainous women. It makes sense to give a foil, especially in those circumstances. And also, frankly, just because, like, you know, I'm a gay dude who is 46 years old and Everyone who's ever tried to hurt me has been a guy. <laughs> all yeah. the violence I've experienced, all of the fear, all of the anger, all of the real painful selfishness, all guys. So maybe it's just more natural. And that's not a good answer either. But I think that's why. And I think that examining that just via this question uh, means that I will be playing more women in the future. Me from Michigan asks, why is Dylan so mean for a Canadian? The only response I can muster to that is uh, we have a limited runtime for this episode and you wasted some of it on asking a stupid fucking question. You're so mean. We have actual listener questions and you were like, this is what we need to interrogate here. Here's my theory. Fuck off. On Twitter, when you answered this, you were like, you fell for the Canadian propaganda. Ha ha ha. You believed our lies that were nice. And I'm just going to, let's just say that's true, right? The fact that that's your propaganda, the fact that your propaganda is to be nice, just underlines the fact that you should be nice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the, the quick political answer here. We're recording this while a convoy of white supremacists is uh, barricading parliament, basically. The U.S.-Canada border, both in Alberta and in my hometown of Windsor, have been blocked off. Canada has some fucking deep-seated problems. And that stereotype of the nice Canadian or the funny Mountie, don't. Canada is a place with people. And some of them are lovely, and a lot of them are great because our point of comparison is our friendly, friendly neighbors to the south. It's not that you're good. It's just that we're awful. We get that. Yeah, a, yeah we get that a lot. I have a British friend who they would sit in school and learn about climate change and learn about how many resources England uses. And they'd be like, yes, if everyone was like the English, it would take 3.5 Earths. And they'd all be like, oh, my goodness. Right. And then they would always go. But don't worry. If you were an American, it would take five. So we basically are the ones you turn to to make yourselves feel better about how shitty you are. And if there's anything you know about people by now, it's that we have a very strong tendency to not come in last. And that's the only concern. So, uh, yeah, Canada looks good relative to the U.S. Canadians aren't really that much different as people.
future guest, uh, Gliza, asks, of the monsters that were killed slash not killed, who did you want to be not killed slash killed? Flumfrey. Flumfrey deserved better. Flumfrey, I don't care what you feel about flumps. That flump deserved better. I maintain that that was the best narrative ending, and I feel no guilt. I don't care about that. I'm not remotely concerned about your black soul. I know exactly where that was going to land. I'm saying you look at this cosmically. You look at that creature and you tell me they didn't deserve better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Flumfrey as a character was a decent person, which I say with heavy air quotes. As they were dying, their only concern was for the person who stabbed them. They're better than us that character was better than us that entire episode is a bad bit of evidence because the entire thing was you actively trying to sell it but they were well i didn't really try that hard frankly i made them pretty creepy and i made it hard to like flumfrey right but still still flumfrey was good and had only good intentions the entire time it is difficult to play a truly lawful good creature but that is. but that creature had a code of ethics they stuck to like glue and were generally good okay didn't deserve it still wanted to kill him because i think it was narratively better uh um, agreed so i i disagree with your answer but i accept that that's the one you went with the zombie should have died let me give you the flip of that those zombies should have effing died one more area effect i could have taken them out and because you burned I'm... all your third level spells oh no i did but it was narratively perfect and the reason that the reason that 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 should have gone differently is purely because no one is going to love those goats more no one is going to treat those goats that can be summoned on command uh, from an object that you own better than that dude treated those goats so no one's going to treat him better huh no one do you remember by any chance what attack dropped bartholomew yeah bartholomew and them were on the same page bartholomew knew exactly what was going yeah. on i i hate they were no one's going to treat him better than the guy who killed him that's fine hey, whatever you want to sacrifice for each other that was the only chance they had of living that was the bond they had dylan that was a special episode. You can't take this from me. I, hey, say whatever you want to. People love that goat. You know, no, it was a good goat. goat. I, I think you deserve to lose that one. And all of those goats are going to go to better owners when a future adventurer wanders through that tomb. I completely disagree. A future adventurer who clears that place out and finds those goats is going to look at them as a resource. They might not even keep it. They might just fucking sell them. Okay. There is a 95% chance there's going to be a worse owner picking those goats up. And that's the sole reason that guy should have lived because those goats deserve better. I think this is an artifact of you coming up in earlier editions of D&D because I have never had a party sell a magical item in 5th edition. That's fair. Okay, they probably aren't, aren't going to sell it, but they're definitely going to treat it like an item and not character. Well, actually, any... Open up Twitter and ask them how they feel about pets in D&D. You're completely wrong. You start to finish are incorrect. I'm treating them as characters... Like, I'm the only player, and it's just going to be NPCs that find them, and that's not what's going to happen. It's going to be other idiot players who treat them like gold. You're right. You're right. Fine. They'll probably do better. I, I withdraw. So here's the thing. 
And Gliza, I know you're you're not gonna like this answer. I think I stand by the end of every single episode. Nothing was unearned. Like I'm I'm just running back over my head and like the vampire ending was perfect. The zombies, that was right. The oozes, of course, like the troll was the, just Oh fuck me. The troll perfect. You, you did your explosion for the mimics. The flump was great. Uh, the doppelganger absolutely deserved to get away. Noir, holy shit, you earned that one. Yeah, the oozes was fun. Absolutely no ending would have been improved by being different. The banshee getting away. The goblins getting away with the beer and leaving the fucking dwarf in the dust. Uh, the hag. Having the hag. Just eviscerate him. Just eviscerate him and then just be like, no, go throw yourself against a different monster until you die. I'm done with you. Yeah. I stand by every one of those endings, honestly. I don't think there's a monster I would save and I don't think there's a monster I would kill. You can't save Flumfrey either because if you save Flumfrey, you take away the sacrifice. And without the sacrifice, you can't highlight that he's lawful good because you can't without a sacrifice like that. I disagree with that as a general sentiment, but in this particular case, yeah, I, I, I think for something that alien, you need something fundamentally relatable to prove the good bit, and I, I think that's what needed to happen. For the story, not necessarily, Yeah, it's not justice for Flumfrey. Flumfrey didn't have anything to prove for the no, story. There are other, like, Flumfrey might have deserved to, to walk away, but honestly, the rest of them, like... Agreed. I, uh, yeah. That's how it should have gone. That's how it should have been. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Nala from Massachusetts asks, what is the sexiest monster? Okay, we're going to limit ourselves to the monster manual. We're not going into the other shit because I haven't looked through a bunch of those pictures yet. Incubus, then. Because, I'm sorry, like, something that can, like, be what I desire, both physically and mentally, at the same time, and just knows exactly what I want. Maybe even, I don't know, 
what I fully want, but they know. Ignoring the obvious glaring flaw in an incubus. Yes, I get where you're coming yes. from on that. Agreed. Absolutely. Assuming everything is is like, you know, but like assuming everything is, of course, mutual, right? With mm -hmm. an incubus, right? Yeah. Assuming that we are both fully on board, that I know that you're an incubus, that, like you did, like you basically walked out, a, you know, a demon and then like, but watch this and then did like the whole <laughs> transform into Brad Pitt or whatever, right? Fine. As long as we're both on board, that's great. But it's hard to like say, I mean, what else is sexy? Like, what else is sexier than something that can fulfill every fantasy? I mean, there's the stereotypical answer, the dryad, and uh, the top half of the centaur. The horse half obviously has a major flaw. <laughs> Agreed. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just not much of a monster fucker. Nala, I'm so sorry to let you down, but it's just not my oeuvre. <laughs> there's something about the storm giants I can get into. And I tell you what, I do really, really like the idea of like a polymorph silver dragon and I just going at it and their spine lighting up and shit. Like the, I'm down for all that. Glad you're having a great time there. <laughs> <laughs> you're so uncomfortable. Sooner words, now I'd fuck a lot of them is the answer. There you go. Michael of Goblin fame asks... What is the hardest thing to cut from each episode? That's going to take too long. So, Aram, what is the thing that you had to cut? Singular thing that you wish could have stayed in? I, I have had to cut really good things. You've had to cut a lot. From every episode. And I'm telling you, if we get our pay, I should set a patronical. I'm going to set a patronical where if we get to a certain amount, we could throw money at an editor. Like yeah. a little side editor, right? To help me with some things, to get things done faster, but also to get some bonus content done so we can just feed the uh, feed more to the patron. Because there is at least one good, solid 10 to 20-minute chunk from each episode that has killed me to cut. The worst one, though, by far, was the Undead Horde episode, where I had to cut like this 10-minute chunk of us just going off on the undead and capitalism, just spinning that out <laughs> to its most ridiculous, oh, yeah. dark end. But it was just too much. It just, I didn't have the room. The whispers of that stayed in, and it was still like a good-sized chunk, but it was that went on. Instead of being 15 minutes, it was five. The talk part of the Undead Horde episode is like 32 minutes long. It's the longest discussion part we've had since the banshee episode it couldn't go on longer it had to be cut that also uh we we lost the stinger on the undead horde as well which i liked i was happy with that one there are a couple of stingers that got cut maybe one day maybe one day we'll get the patreon thing there and we'll throw them all all of my marvel endings back in oh yeah there was a good uh 15 minutes after that, where you told the whole story of what there, there's a nice, good chunk of really smart story there. But it just I just I, I couldn't make it two hours. It was a 93 minute episode. That is a movie. You can't like, you know, I'm not DiCaprio over here. We're not making two and a half hour, three hour cuts. No, no, I, I fully fucking back you on that one. <laughs> I know that a lot of people listen to three, four hour shows. Like, I think I think A Critical Role, you regularly goes on for four hours, right? No, it's it's what stopped me from getting on board is it doesn't translate particularly well to just pure audio because they were their streams, right? And then I just couldn't sit there and watch it for four full fucking hours. I just couldn't. I don't have the attention span. I can barely make it through a movie. I barely make it through our show. Part of that's you, though. That's fair. 
Like I can't sit for an hour and listen to a podcast. That's not how I function. I have to walk somewhere. There is a local town where I am. It's a nice 25 minute walk into town and a 25 minute walk back. If I have a coffee and extend it hour 20, hour 30, it's a good walk. Perfect time to listen to an episode of our show or something else like Ear Hustle, which I'm super into right now, but it's, it's, it's a nice chunk of time to listen to a show. Anything over that, though, I'm not going for a two-hour walk. Did we get you into Secretly Incredibly Fascinating yet? I have it. I haven't listened to it yet. It's there. Okay. It's up your alley. You'll like it. I just got through stuff the British stole, and there's another one I was listening to, so I have some room for new things. So... Michael, there's your uh, answer plus a couple bonus podcast recs because those are, seriously, it's good shit. Jay from Massachusetts asks, what's the smallest and largest monster size-wise? Now take them and reverse their sizes. Now who would win in a fight? Oh, I get it. I get where this is going. Okay. Okay. So I'm not 100% certain. I'm not consulting the monster manual because I don't care enough to be 100% certain. But instinct. Rust monster Tarasque. You think the rust monster is the smallest? I, I'm pretty sure they're tiny. A rust monster is not... They're at best the size of, like, gold coins, aren't they? They're supposed to be something that goes into your... A rust monster? No. How big no, is a rust like, monster? It's like the size of a pony. What? Then what fucking yeah, god is it? It's huge. I assumed that these were like a trap monster, honestly. What? How, you thought it was like... I thought it was like while you're shoveling shit into your gear, like a rust monster. Oh, God, they're medium white. They look so they look like a fucking cockroach. These are stupid. I hate these. But they're big cockroaches. That does change fundamentally what they are. You're right. A rust monster would be a lot more terrifying if it was the size of a beetle and could just land on your armor and then rust would start to spread. That is a better monster. Jay, I think the answer to this got less interesting the moment I found out those were big and I, I just... Because, like, past that, what is it? It's going to be, like, the pixies are tiny. Pixie and the Tarasque. Yeah, but if you flip their sizes, like, it gets more hit points, but a big pixie isn't scary, and a tiny... A big pixie is very scary. It's like Mothra. It's a giant with wings. I'm not worried about it. The wind it would generate. Yeah, but it's also got one hit point. But it's still have one hit point because it would. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Play with me in the accidental space where I was completely wrong. If a rust monster was the sort of thing where, like, it lives in piles of metal and you accidentally shove it into your gear bag, if you made that the size of a Tarrasque, it becomes terrifying because, like, it will eat through everything metal in the city and it will rip apart the stone buildings to get at the metal bits. It effectively is still the Tarrasque, but it doesn't care about the people, which to me makes it way scarier. It is specifically trying to eat the buildings and that's awesome it would also collapse whole mountains just by eating iron veins it would be a much more devastating monster the tarasque is every bit as dangerous tiny as it is large it may have lower damage output but you still can't kill it and to make it even worse if it's like the sort of thing you could pick up in your hand you're gonna want to just like burning hands that shit won't work Every spell bounces off of it. All of its ability is still intact. It, you pick it up and go like, no, I'll just squish it. And then it chews a hole out through your hand. Still terrifying. Which one wins in a fight? Definitely not fucking me. It's like the toughest, angriest Pokemon you could possibly imagine. Uh, how big do you think Pokemon are? Because 
I feel less bad about my size confusion thing. Well, like, well, they are different in size, but like the general Pokemon are kind of Pikachu size where they're like, you know, like they're like a they're like a small toddler, basically, or like a 40 pound, 50 pound dog. That's kind of average Pokemon size. Yeah, right? sure. Uh, so when I say thing I could pick up in my hand, do you think a full toddler, huh? <laughs> I mean, you, you have to struggle, but yeah. <laughs> and say, well. The fact that you doubled down is fantastic. Uh, yeah, which one of those would win in a fight? I could pick up my, I could, I could pick up my five-year-old nephew with one hand. I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying you can pick him up do it. with one hand. I'm saying in. Agree. Oh wait, that's a, that's harder. Wildly that's different statement. Grab by the face. Yeah, it's a little harder. But yeah, which one of them would win in a fight? Uh, probably still the Tarras, quite frankly. At the end of the day, changing the size fundamentally changes the monster. Because if you made a pixie the size of a Tarrasque, it's a giant, but for giants, and also it has wings, you have to restat it from the ground up. Because everything in the pixie stat block is specifically assumed to be like, oh, well, this is a fly swatter monster. The Tarrasque, on the other hand, like, actually does just scale down and you pretty much leave it intact. Adam from Hamilton, Ontario asks, if you were going to become a monster rancher, what would you raise? I don't know anything about this game, monster rancher, but I'm assuming this means... I, he's not referencing the game monster rancher. He just means conceptually if you if you were raising monsters on a ranch. No, no, no. It's, it definitely got something to do with the game that I, I know nothing nope. about. But here's what I assume it's about. What I assume it's about is that it's like that other game where you're on an island... And you make a Animal store crossing. or whatever. You're thinking Animal of Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. It's like Animal Crossing, except except you do nothing. And it's also like Pokemon. But instead of like throwing a ball and putting them in the ball and then making them fight in gladiatorial combat, instead of enslaving them that way, you turn them into meat and farm stuff and you just raise them and then sell like, you know, burgers. What is this? That's what it is. So my answer would be that if I was going to raise a monster to sell for meat, it would have to be like, you know, meaty, right? But but in like kind of dumb. So, you know, it can't, you know, you don't feel bad. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what fucking game you think you're making. It's Monster Rancher. Gonna, we're going we're gonna to raise it. We're going to run cattle and raise us some monsters. Like, y y you've basically just written a really interesting campaign. And it has nothing to do with the game Monster Rancher. Honestly, Animal Crossing didn't fucking nail what that game was either. Pretty sure I did. <laughs> you have no idea what Pokemon is. 100% <laughs> what Pokemon is. It's a little Pokemon. They go in a ball. You run around, you catch them. And you use them for gladiatorial combat. That pit, bit I agree yes. with. What part of that relates to, and then I skin them and make them into clothes? It's not far. If you're already using them to fight your wars, it oh, is Jesus not far to making them Christ, cattle. Man. I'm just saying. The point is, is that if I was going to ranch an animal for meat. You did not have to come at this through video games to get to the base assumption of what the question was about. The more sensible monster would be the largest herbivore that's available. The largest controllable herbivore that's available. That's the one that I would ranch. And... Okay. No, that's coherent. Finally. And the answer clearly is dinosaurs. <laughs> Probably tastes just like chicken because they're birds. I think you're a bad person. Well, that's true. Not because of the 
content of your answer, but the form your answer took and the path getting us there just made me dislike you. You are stuck with me. Yeah, I've made a series of mistakes. I think I want to farm bullets. <laughs> you are dumb. I think... That is a death wish. I, I don't disagree. Getting to tame... what Like, domesticating a bullet is going to be a son of a bitch. If you can. Assuming we start off with domesticated bullets. You can't domesticate a burrowing creature. Sure you can. How? You're going to have your dirt patch with, like, concrete on the outside of it. So it, like, hits a wall that it can't dig through eventually. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to buy this bullshit because you are you are farm adjacent. So I'm <laughs> going to have to accept whatever answer you come yeah, up with. Yeah, my grandpa grew soybeans, so I know how to farm bullets. That's how that works. <laughs> Look, it's still, it's still one step closer it's than closer I am. You are. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to accept it. If you wanted to do something like that, again, assuming you could domesticate the creature in the first place, you would have basically a concrete wall to the pen that goes, say, 30, 40 feet down and basically seals them in. And then they can't actually dig out. Uh, they can dig through dirt. They can't go through a castle wall. Huge amounts of meat on those motherfuckers. And also, in a similar way to, like, we farmed cows to get meat and leather, you basically just get armor plating off of them. That's true. Brontosaurus leather is good for industrial stuff. Not so much wearing. It'd probably be really heavy. Two major holes. I don't know enough about the process of making leather to know if, like, the thickness of the skin is really going to factor in or if we can just sort of pare it down. And I also don't know if brontosauruses would actually have thicker skin. They'd have to. Why? Right? Because they're big. Yeah, but... Dylan. <laughs> and therefore... They need thicker skin to keep all their big insides in. That's that doesn't follow logically. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. They could have really thin skin, I suppose. But I bet it's not. I bet it's. Well, thick. they could have regular thickness skin, but like how? Wait, how thick is an elephant skin? Yeah, but that's going to be a different thing because that's also evolutionary, right? They're having to fight off like lions and shit. Well, brontosaurus has to fight off a T Rex. Yeah, so I guess yeah, you're right. Then stands to reason that it have at least. Tough or thick skin? I think I read something recently where, like, Brontosaurus and T-Rexes actually didn't actually overlap. Like, they didn't exist at the same time. Yeah, like, all the dinosaurs we think, like, fought each other were, like, hundreds of thousands of years apart from each other. Hey, listeners, here's a fun fact. I am a physicist, and that implies that I am smart within a given box. It ends real hard at the edges of that box. <laughs> yeah, I will occasionally read something on the internet and be wrong about it. That is my general expertise. For the purposes of this question, we assume domesticatability. Bullets are going to be a good, like, product animal. Also, I think they're kind of cute. Josiah from Halifax asks, why no Celestials in the Monster Manual? Simple answer, D&D doesn't like reckoning with how to make good creatures monsters dealing with that sort of weird little patch of territory it's why the angels are boring it's why really the only like good creatures in there are like angels the unicorn and the flump and the quaddle and the quaddle all three of those real monsters and then there's the flump which we're going to disregard uh are just support characters for the party to work off of they for some reason decided in the base monster manual the party doesn't get to fight good guys. Right. You shouldn't kill good guys. Which, to be fair, 
Yeah, sure. I agree with. But also Celestials as a whole, like the idea of fighting off destiny and that being reinforced by a good god who has like a lawful view. Having soldier Celestials that you can go up against, there's a lot of cool room to build in and they just didn't. But I'm that's what I'm going with is they don't want you, want you to fight good guys. They want their gods to either be distant or very involved in the plot. Like that, that is the two places they want them to be. And when they get very involved in the plot, it makes the other gods angry. And then it gets equaled out again so that they all are not involved in the plot. That's how D&D wants its gods. That's how generally fantasy wants their gods. I don't agree with that. I think it's the same problem we have with the dragons. Yeah, I don't think it's a great world-building move Yeah, to pull things that far away from what the players can sort of deal with. If there's 120 fucking gods running around, at any given point, one of them's going to be dipping their toe too deeply in the human pool. Again, things that I'm going to get yelled at by Austin when they're on. Uh, we dedicated fucking 40 stat blocks to dragons. Literally... 40 stat blocks we couldn't make like drop most of them and just give us some cool celestials to kill that's all i'm asking for cooler monsters amelia of necromancy fame asks you keep killing the monsters not true absolutely untrue <laughs> you have killed a monster but if you had to pick, which monster would you want to be killed by? Which monster makes you say there are worse ways to go? Intellect Devourer. You want to be killed by the Intellect Devourer? Oh, sorry. I read this question wrong. No, those are terrifying. You definitely read this question wrong. Yeah, no. My answer is definitely the Illithid. I do not want to be killed by a Mind Flayer. That is absolutely the way I do not want to go. So that's first on my list. And I have delved deeply into that in God's fall. And I'm telling you, editing those episodes was harrowing because it is a disturbing idea. So which monster would you want to be killed by? Okay, rewriting that one. Just going out of the monster manual, either a lich or a beholder, something with a disintegrate in his back pocket. Right, so it's quick. Just get her done. Like, absolutely nothing with a paralyze effect. Yeah. <laughs> nothing that's actually got to, like, basically, I just don't want to get actually killed i definitely wouldn't want to be killed by like a vampire or something like that because i don't want to be raised and have my body used afterwards i don't want to be manipulated or controlled so it's none of those things all the dragons are out because that's essentially getting torn apart by a lion unless it attacks you with lightning a painful thing yeah freezing to death burning to death or being melted by acid all of those tremendously unpleasant this is not a good way to die this is not a clean way to die but if I'm going to go with a death, if I'm going to have a monster take me out, let's get swallowed by a purple worm. <laughs> that is a classic D&D &D death, to be swallowed whole by a purple worm. Nikki the Halfling asks, If each of you were a two-stat game, like Lasers and Feelings or Honey Heist, what would your two stats be? Uh, so I'm tired and angry, and we're going uh, Honey Heist for this one. Lasers and Feelings, you have a set split between the two, right? Uh, Honey Heist plays the two stats off of each other. So if you fail on your two stats in that one are Crime and Bear. If you fail at a Bear thing, your Crime goes up. And you fail at a Crime thing, your Bear goes up. And they balance. And it's basically when one gets too high, that's when you're out of the game. 
So we got tired and angry. You just get more and more tired until you go to sleep or you get angrier and angrier until you have an outburst and have to be removed from the Wendy's. It's going to be one of those like all out of bubblegum things where it's like, okay, you turned 30 recently. Just just get home from work. I could see the big picture. I can see the bigger ideas, but I'm also dumb. Okay, so we're we're lining up the two stats of productive and visionary. Your your big picture ability versus your ability to get things done. We're leaning on lasers and feelings where each character in the party is somewhere on the productive to visionary scale. Yeah. And you have to work together because I don't think those actually work that well as like a trade-off between the two mechanic. Alex from the Flump episode asks, which monster are you most afraid of? I am most afraid of a mind flare. I am most afraid of an illithid. I, 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 they have all of the terror of a vampire, but the end result is worse. I think that's fair. And at no point is it sexy. No. That's the most important difference. At no point is that hot. There is someone out that we are going to get male. No, I don't care. Oh, we're don't get... care. I don't care. You're wrong. They're wrong. I'll tell them. Go ahead. Send your fucking fucked up tentacle letters. You are wrong. I'm going with an adjacent answer. It's the intellect devourer, because while I think the effect of an illithid is terrifying, intellect devourers are tiny. Like, it's the size of a cat, but it's a brain with fucking legs. And it gets within a distance of you and then just ruptures your brain. I don't want to see a brain scramble towards me on cat feet and then suddenly have a stroke. That's bad. That is the most terrifying thing in the monster manual followed up by like it has that body thief basically this thing will rupture your brain kill you from a stroke and then crawl itself inside your head and then body puppet you around fucking awful that is don't like it that is awful and they will hunt you Alithids pretty much as long as you don't like fuck with them or come across them they're 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 not going to come into your village and like pluck you out of your home but these things will that is the point of an intellect devourer is they are bred by illithids to go hunt things down so in general we agree they're the most horrifying corner of the monster manual they are awful for a variety of reasons just their raw abilities are the worst thing and just the idea that they exist purely as predators of other thinking creatures. That's all they can eat. This is the contrast between a mind flayer and a vampire. A vampire is scary for a lot of the same reasons, but a vampire is a cursed entity. You become a, a vampire because magic hated you. These are like if mosquitoes were the apex predator and they had an entire society based on how to gather humans and just suck them dry. A vampire is a vampire, it's more or less on its own, and it exists as a tiny little dot of scary in the grand sea of humanity. Illithids are out there, and they're looking for you. This is coming out, what, just before the Deva? So this is going to be, season one isn't quite over, but mostly just thank you guys. Yeah, so much. The response to this blows me away regularly, and... It's just been fantastic. I hope you guys keep enjoying it. I, I hope we get to keep making it for you.
I've made a couple shows and I've worked on a couple other shows and I've been involved and cast on different shows. And I would say that this is by far the surest I've ever been of anything I've ever made. Like, I know this feels right. This feels like something special. And the fact that so many people have been like, oh yeah, this also feels special and we agree and please make more of it. And we will happily support you making more of it is awesome. It, it is a huge boost. It is very difficult to create in a vacuum. And the response that we have gotten has made the process of creating this show much more fun. So in two weeks, enjoy the Deva. And a little bit after that, quick break, we'll drop some bonus content to keep you guys happy. We don't want you to miss us. And then we're back with season two. If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. You can find links on killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill, Kill Every Monster. Ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon Chazar. The Great Lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.